Welcome to the Frontline Herbalism Podcast with your host Nicole Rose from the Solidarity Apothecary. This is your place for all things plants and liberation. Let's get started. Hello, welcome back to the Frontline Herbalism Podcast. This is episode nine. I can't believe it, nearly finished in our series collaborating with MSDN, the Medical Self-Defense Network, who we introduce in episode one, and we talk about some of the principles of medical self-defense in episode two. And then there's some amazing interviews with medics and organizers around the world from as far as East Tennessee in the so-called US to France, which was like the most recent episode. But this interview is with Matilda, who has been living in Northeast Syria the last three years and responding to and working in the healthcare context in the episode we talk about responses to an outbreak we talk about training and kind of yeah building infrastructure for medical self-defense and yeah and how this is all working in a kind of revolutionary context so we dive into a little bit of the context of Rojava like of northeast Syria and the revolution that happened and how people are still you know constantly in the process of rebuilding and changing and growing society towards more kind of liberatory ends and yeah I think it's really I think it's really interesting I think it's really really inspiring And yeah, I hope you enjoy the interview. And once again, check out the show notes for all the links and information. Okay, thanks. Okay, hello. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on the call. Um, If you're able to introduce yourself, your pronouns, and like any political affinities or projects you'd like to include, that would be amazing. Hello, it's so nice to be here. My name is Matilda. I'm a nurse. I've worked for many years in emergency rooms in Europe. Uh, I also worked a little bit as a street medic. Generally, I come from a little bit of a feminist background and in this sense also got to know the women liberation movement in North and East Syria. Um, Yeah, and then decided uh, to go there in the frame of MSTN, the Medical Self-Defense Network, to go to North East Syria and work um, in a health context there. I worked in different hospitals uh, different educational programs and yeah I'll, I'll talk about this today here amazing um so yeah so you're currently living in um like you mentioned in northeast syria and i'm sure like many listeners will be aware of like what's been happening there but i'm sure some people are probably like new to the whole region um and to the struggle and the history there so i just wondered if you could give it like a little bit of a summary of like the revolutionary situation and yeah what it's like there at the moment Sure. So to start at the beginning in 2011, during the Arab Spring uprisings, also in the northeast of Syria, the mostly Kurdish population started um, uprisings against the state powers. At um, the same time, also Kurdish people have been struggling in Turkey and other parts of what was formerly Kurdistan. Um, So they reached some level of autonomy. Um, and could hold that until in 2014 ISIS started attacking. Um, So for the years of 2014 until 2019, the people in northeast Syria together, the Kurdish people, the Arabs, the Syrians, like there's many different um, cultures living together and they together were fighting against the ISIS invasion and managed in 2019 to defeat the last stance on strongholds of ISIS. But at the same time, Turkey started invasions. So the first one was in 2018 in Afrin. Turkey invaded the mm, 
the areas of the self-administration is what the, the areas are called, the self-administration of North and East Syria. Um, so Turkey invaded the area around Afrin and uh, occupied this. And then in 2019, also in the area around Serikania and Ainisa. So that's like the state now is that there's some areas that are under the self-administration and there's some areas that are under occupation from Turkey. And there's still like fightings going on. It's not like a full, full on war, but there's a lot of drones and drone strikes. There's sometimes smaller attacks. There's a lot of artillery thrown over the borders. Um, and also in the occupied areas, there's a lot of um, violent attacks against civilians happening. So this is kind of the situation for the war. And in the areas of the self-administration, there's uh, the confederalist idea that to set up different communes and different areas, um, organizing themselves and then working together in different councils. So this is like the political system that they are setting up now. They call it democratic confederalism. And in this um, confederalist system, there's different committees and different um, organizations or organizational groups. So there's like a health committee, there's a justice committee, there's women committees always. And all of these um, on a local basis organize themselves and then come together in, in bigger, you know, like the, the city, the village, the region. Um, they sent delegates to the higher up structures and then organize from the bottom up. Um, yeah, so this is the situation now that there's still ongoing threats of invasions from Turkey. The region is not recognized by other state powers. So they are very limited in what they can do. And because they're under embargoes from, from the Turkish side, but also from the Iraqi and the Syrian regime side, they have a lot of problems with logistics, getting medication and things in and out, getting um, doctors to come there, getting help from the outside. It's very little. And on, on the inside, they don't have a lot of resources and they can't produce a lot of things. The only thing that they, they can produce is oil. So they have to use the oil to kind of keep the economy going and support the people. Um, so it's a very difficult situation with having the ongoing threat from, from the outside and the embargo. And of course, you no know, trying to set up a completely new system and educating the society is a very difficult process. Uh, but um, being there and seeing like the progress they've made over the last 10 years I find it's very impressive that even though they have these like extremely difficult circumstances, they are actually managing to build a society that is, um, yeah, from the bottom up, organizing itself, bringing different cultures together and to collaborate with each other that have been mostly fighting against each other for many, many years. So this is a very, yeah, it's a very positive and very impressive progress they're making in this sense. Amazing. And I think, I think it's been a big um, kind of lighthouse for inspiration around kind of revolutionary change and, um, yeah, ways of organizing society um, very differently. And, um, yeah, I'm sure I will ask you, like, many more questions um, about the region. I just wondered, um, in the context of, like, the Medical Self-Defense Network, like, what, yeah, what does your kind of medical work involve? Yeah, so... 
on the on the practical level, um, during the war, we were treating injured people. We were evacuating people from dangerous areas, evacuating injured. Um, so we were um, finding injured, treating them, and then bringing them to to hospitals, supporting also in the hospitals, depending on what people's skills are. Um, then outside of the direct war, uh, we were doing um, first aid trainings with local people by go- going to these different communes and different organizations um, and giving them like one or two days um, basic training so that they can treat themselves if one of them gets injured or they can help. You know, like when if there is war or if there is a drone strike that people can help the injured. Um, we also prepared medical backpacks that um, the materials we got from the self-administrations and then we kind of sorted it and put it together into different backpacks or little pouches and then gave them to different people or different places so that there would be medical materials um, all along the occupied areas or in like uh, central places so that if there's something happening they are easily accessible so that's like the the directly practical things we were doing. Um, we are working um, together with the local health committee. So a lot of it is building relationships, also seeing what is their situation, what is needed, what is things that we can help with. Is there things needed from outside that maybe we can use our privilege? You know, with my passport, I can travel, which a lot of Syrian people don't have a passport. So then if something is needed from Europe, I can go there and I can use connections that I have to doctors and hospitals and NGOs to see if there is a possibility to send different materials that I needed. Now we have a project that there's a group that is self-producing medications. So we are trying to coordinate now between this group and the health administration to see what medication is already produced inside of North and East Syria, what is not produced there but would be really needed, so that then this uh, group can set up a, a lab to make this medication locally in Northeast Syria, so they to bring the materials that would be needed for this, and then also give educations to local people so that then they can produce their own medication and they're not dependent on the Syrian regime or on Turkey. So the the idea is to, as much as possible, support the autonomy of the people and of the self-administration. Um, yeah, we have this, I think you already did an interview, this 3D printing project to 3D print tourniquets, which the same idea, you know, to like find ways how we can produce needed things ourselves so we're not dependent on state powers or on outside states um, and entities, but we can produce the things we need ourselves so we are not dependent on them. And then if there's another embargo and they just close the border, then we are not in the situation that we need medication and we can't get it. So yeah, a lot of this is also, a lot of our work also is um, having these connections to different people in different groups uh, building relationships and seeing how we can support each other. Um, yeah, and since like the more basic or like the more foundational 
idea of MSTN is to build a health structure that is like the confederalism in Northeast Syria is like from the bottom up. It's focused on the people and not on money. Um, a lot of effort also goes into finding finding out how how we can do that in you know like in our utopia if we could build our dream society how would a healthcare system look like how can we give autonomy to the people to treat themselves how can we build a healthcare system that is focused on the needs of the people from myself i was working for a long time in european healthcare like state healthcare system and i had a lot of criticisms about how money is more important than people it's very stressful yeah from so from myself working for a really long time in healthcare in the state system i've have a lot of criticism on how there's a lot of like the focus is on on money and on the finances rather than on the people so the insurances want to earn money the hospitals want to earn money hospitals are not just um, like their purpose nowadays is not to just serve the people and be and treat people, but they they need to create money, and there is a lot of um, how do you call these things? Um, yeah, like so the prioritized kind of like for profit. profit. Yeah, it's for profit. So like the so the hospitals are not necessarily anymore just for the good of the people and for treating sick people but to earn money to make a profit and then to use that profit to redirect it into private pockets of people um, and this is a um, development that we can see in many many different areas of public interest like resources food water healthcare, all of these things that should be in the hands of the people and should be working for the people are nowadays working for profit and for companies that want to earn as much money as pos as they possibly can. So what we want is to build a healthcare system that is from the people and for the people, where people have agency to decide themselves how much and what kind of healthcare they need and they want, where they can get education so they can treat themselves and their friends um, and then if they need further help than this, there is places they can go to. There's hospitals that are focused on the needs of the the people, the injured people or the sick people. And their main focus is to treat them and help them to live um, a good and healthy life. Amazing. I think that's a really beautiful statement about healthcare system from the people and for the people. Um, how do you kind of see like your medical work like in a revolutionary context? Like you've touched on it already, but I just wondered if there was um, anything else about kind of living in the region and how that's like influencing you as a medic. Yeah. So I think that the revolutionary um, view on it is the most important, no, because we don't want to be just another NGO that goes there and gives like um, donations and takes a few pictures and then grabs money where they can and takes you know takes a lot of it for in their own pocket i think that is a very um that's like a view on on people that is not seeing them as as uh, capable individuals or like on eye to eye level 
So we're, we're maybe a small group and we don't have, you know, we don't have a lot of money. We don't have a lot of resources, but what we want to do is to, to learn from the people of Northeast Syria because they have now over 10 years experience in a revolutionary context. They have already been building a lot of things. So when we go there, it's not, oh, me as a Western nurse, I have all this knowledge that I'm going to come and bring to you. But they already also have a lot of knowledge. They know things that I've never seen before. And they have been living in this revolutionary context for a really long time. So to like meet them on this level of two, um, into, um, wait. So to meet them eye to eye on this level of two people with their own amount of knowledge, their own lives, and then learn from each other. And I can bring what I know and they can bring what they know. And then together we can build a system that is actually benefiting the people in the society. And of course, I have a lot of technical knowledge, but I know nothing about uh, Syrian society. Like now I've learned over the years, um, but in the beginning it was very confusing because it's a completely different culture. Um, and apart from the culture being different, also the revolutionary context is very new. So there's a lot of things I had to learn before I was even able to bring anything that I had learned. So it's just giving and taking and together building something and having solidarity with the people that are trying to build the system and supporting in whatever, whatever is necessary. So that then in the end, we can build like a strong foundation for this. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, so I know that a number of um, people were present in the invasions in 2018 and 2019, um, which, yeah, I can only imagine were like, horrific in terms of medical casualties and trauma. So during the war, both against Turkey and against ISIS, which, of course, was a bit of a different kind of war, um, but the, our group was uh, helping basically wherever it was needed. And of course, it was needed in many places. So we were setting up triage points close to the front line to uh, receive injured, treat them basically so that they would survive the way to the hospital. And then we had an ambulance to transport injured to the nearest hospitals where they could get further treatment. Some, some of us who had more training would also work in the hospitals or in the surgery rooms and assisting in this way. Um, and then we gave educations to each other also that we could help more in these ways, but also people that are friends of us that didn't have a professional training in, in medicine or healthcare could play a big role in supporting, um, because the war, there's like so many things going on and the situation is so chaotic that even just transporting something or bringing things can be a huge support for everybody around. So people would make, or our friends would make food, they would make tea. Even like singing a song or telling a joke sometimes can be like a really big help. So apart from the the medical works of treating injured and transporting them by singing a song or by, by cheering someone up that's been in a really bad situation, you're already doing so much and you're showing that you're by the side of the people and you were having commitment to their struggle. Um, yeah, so we were doing all of these things 
as good as we could. Um, and I hope this had a good impact. Well, I know I did. I know it had a good impact. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I've spoken to some friends and comrades who were there and who came back. And, um, yeah, I'm aware that, like, a lot of people are affected with um, things like PTSD or just kind of, you know, you can't experience that kind of experience, right, and not be changed by it, by that kind of um, violence and trauma and yeah, I just wondered, um, just as a random side question, if, if you could speak about, um, like, traumatic stress or kind of PTSD and, yeah, yeah. how collectives respond to that or how it's talked about. Um, I know where there is a lot more kind of um, collective life and kind of free life together that people will support each other, I think, much better than, for example, um, in other kind of alienating industrial countries like in the UK and stuff, for example, where there's a lot of like emotional repression and people being like hyper individualistic. I just, yeah, I just wondered if you could, if you could speak a little bit about kind of trauma responses. Yeah. So we were doing some studying on, on PTSD and trauma. Um, and the thing that impressed me the most was that to prevent PTSD, you actually have to start way before the trauma actually happens. So if I'm going to a stressful situation, for example, if I'm going to war and I know I will encounter a lot of very stressful, very difficult, very traumatizing experiences, but I go there with my friends and with um, a committed group that we know we will take care of each other and we know why we're doing this because we're going to support a revolution that we we really believe in this belief and this mindset already prevents a lot of the the possibilities for developing ptsd later on and what i found interesting in the society in general was there's there's nothing like psychological healthcare like there's no therapists um, and people don't really believe in it either so i was for a long time thinking how are they how are they going through life with all the things that they've seen so i've asked the the local people also who've been through all of these wars like how was it and what i've learned over the years why i think this the society is still holding on is because the like you said it's not an our like in our society everything is so complementary and so split up and people are so alone but even though they don't really have any kind of professional therapy and if you talk to the ex talk to them about the experience you would think that all of them like every single last person in all of northeast syria should be incredibly traumatized from the things they've seen but because their community is so so good and so close and it's not a secret i feel like in europe a lot of times people, they dig this into themselves when they have, like when someone died or something happened. People don't talk about it so much, but they keep it inside. And then it's like this cancer that grows and grows. But in Syria, because everybody experienced these things, it's a very open topic and people talk about it all the time. And the funerals, for example, if someone died, are a very public event and everybody goes there. Like there's not one funeral where not a hundred people are coming. And it's this incredible solidarity between all of the people and they all believe in their revolution. They all believe in 
this new system that they're trying to build and they're showing up for each other and this you know holding together and, and being on the same side and the solidarity among each other i feel is what makes it possible for them even after all these horrible things they've seen to still smile and laugh and keep going and work on on building on continue to building the system yeah so this i found very impressive and it's something that in our group we're now also trying to cultivate to have this solidarity with each other and taking care of each other and living our lives together and whatever happens i know my friends will not leave me alone and they will not run away so just this feeling then gives me the strength that even if there's a difficult situation and even if i think maybe i will die that i will not be alone and i will not be i will not die for nothing you know you are in a in this because you believe in it so whatever you do it feels it has meaning and yeah and because everything you do has meaning even if what you're having to do by treating injured that are really horrifically injured or going to a situation that is very dangerous because you have to pick someone up somewhere it the meaning behind it makes it so that you can carry this and you're not carrying it alone you're carrying it together oh you, you just, just you just gave me goosebumps um i think that's like a really beautiful perspective and like i remember being in palestine last year and just um this prisoner had died of cancer um and just like yeah just like there was like a national strike basically like all the shops closed like everyone was on the streets like everyone was in mourning and um yeah my best friend in prison has also been really suffering with cancer for a really long time but it's been like a very individualized like lonely experience with like very little support and just like the contrast between yeah how much everyone connects with everyone because of being in the same like struggle and yeah it was really like beautiful even though it was like harrowing if that makes sense and I know um in Rojava in northeast Syria there is like a really massive um yeah honoring of, of like people who have fallen yes so in the society it's very impressive to see that even after 10 years of war and thousands of thousands of people that died in this war that every time there's a funeral and sometimes there's two or three funerals a week still hundreds of people show up and the people are closing their shops and they're leaving their work even in the hospital we closed half of the hospital down every time there was a funeral and only one or two people would stay for something urgent but all of the nurses and doctors would together go to every funeral in the area and sometimes you would even drive really far to go to attend these funerals even though there are so many of them and this the spirit of collectivity and of belonging together and seeing meaning in in the people dying and what they gave their lives for is a really strong and oppressive feeling to see that yeah i just yeah i've seen pictures of some of the graveyards because my um ex my ex-girlfriend died um anna campbell and afrin and yeah i know like there's lots of um imagery and artwork of her in different spaces and yeah it's super moving um but just in terms of um like the other medical work you've been doing i think i think it's on the msdn blog but i'm not sure but i know that um your crew have been part of responding to a um, leishmaniasis outbreak. Um, and I just wondered if you could 
just like speak about that a little bit just to show the kind of diversity of the like healthcare work you're all organizing so the Slashmania outbreak is actually a really good example on how we could work together with the local people in whatever was needed in the moment. Because in the start, we didn't know anything about Leishmania. We just discovered that we had it ourselves, that we would get these bruises and sore spots, and we didn't know what it was. And we asked our local friends, and they they told us that, oh, this Leishmania is this thing that a lot of people have right now, and you need to go to the hospital and get these injections once a week. So then we went to the local hospital for ourselves and saw that there was hundreds and hundreds of people waiting in line to get these injections. And it was in the middle of the summer. It was incredibly hot outside. And it took hours and hours for these people to wait because there was not enough nurses to give these injections. So uh, we asked the hospital if they needed help and offered offered uh, to do that because we had some some other works, but we could uh, pause that. And we didn't really know much about Leishmania. We uh, studied up on it, did some research. We asked the local nurses to show us how to do the injections and then supported in the hospital so that everything would move along a little bit faster and people wouldn't have to wait for so long. And also during during this work, we noticed that there was a lot of people coming from villages far away, there's no public transport, a lot of people don't have cars, uh, so they wouldn't come regularly for the injections because they just couldn't go so far. And because we had an ambulance, we made the proposal to the health committee that we could go with our ambulance to the villages rather than all of the villagers coming to the hospital. So then there would be less people waiting in the hospital, people wouldn't have to travel so far, and we could just go village by village and then give the the injections in people's homes. And so they gave us the medications and the syringes and we made lists of the names and the, the places. And then for in total, I think, six months, we every day went to different different directions, different villages and were able to really work hand in hand with our local friends and learn from them and support in what was needed in the moment wow yeah it sounds like really really important work and i think it's i think it's also a nice example because like for example in the uk there would just be like so much bureaucracy that it would like never be possible for some for like another collective to like support do you know what i mean like it would yeah just have to be like completely controlled by the state the difference between us and our regular ngos that we are in the place and we can react very spontaneously to things that come up and we don't have a lot of so an NGO what I've seen NGOs do is like they see there's this Leishmaniasis thing problem so they would send in certain resources or they would make a plan and then bring the plan to the people and say oh you need to make this room for the Leishmania and then you need to use this syringe and we will give you money from this thing because donations need to be directed to something specific but then in the place itself, this a lot of times didn't make any sense. So of course the friends would take, or the, the local hospital friends would take the things that were given to them because they didn't have a lot of resources, but they would not be always able to actually use it in the way that it was, made, was thought to be used. 
because it, the plan was made by some um, some NGO from somewhere else and then kind of imposed onto the hospital rather than working directly with the people that work in the hospital and are from the place who much better know how things work and how the society works and how things can be organized in in coherence with how the society moves anyway. So because we were able then to, you know, move along with the stream rather than swim against it, I felt this made a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah for, for sure, sure. For sure. Um, yeah, yeah, I definitely, definitely found that in the, at the beginning of the pandemic when a lot of the big NGOs like couldn't, like just from insurance or something, couldn't protect their volunteers. So they just kind of weren't working. Like in, in Northern France, where I work with refugees, whereas like as a grassroots collective, we just had a lot more like freedom to just keep going. Um, but yeah, I know you've also been organizing different trainings um, in the region. Um, I know you mentioned it a little bit already, but I just wondered like what these have involved and like why they're important. So because we noticed during the war that a lot of local people had didn't have a lot of knowledge about medicine and how to treat injured people, we first started with our neighbors and people that we knew to give short one or two day educations on stopping bleeding wounds, putting on tourniquets, putting bandages, and also how to carry people, how to pick injured people up and how to transport them. And then after our neighbors, we went also to our city, the different councils uh, and people or groups that we knew around. For example, there was a youth center in the city where the young people went in the in the evenings to play sports together or games and do some activities. And then we gave them a two-day education on, on basic uh, treatment of wounds and carrying off patients so that if there was war again, they would be able to help in this way and support the hospital by transporting injured or just having some basic idea that if one of their friends or if they would see someone injured, they could help. Now, also from the local structures, there's an academy that gives really long courses to medics and giving long educations about much more in-depth then we could ever do this. So it's great to see that our work here is becoming unnecessary and that uh, other people are, are doing this because this is kind of the goal we have with all of our work is to make ourselves unnecessary or to, to support as much as it's possible people organizing themselves. And then if they do anyway, it's even better. And if there's something that we can help with, then we will support in this way. What I also remember very impressively from these educations was that apart from the technical knowledge to tell the local people how important their revolution is and how important the new system of a society that they're building up and how much hope that gives to people outside and people from Europe that was for for them like really surprising or really giving a lot of motivation to continue after all of the hard times they've been through. And the the question we got asked the most was, if you're from Europe, why would you come here? Everybody's trying to run away from here and trying to get to Europe. And you are from this place where you have everything and there's peace and you have money and food and there's no war. Why on earth would you come here? And then to 
not just pass on technical knowledge, but also give a lot of encouragement to the the people and telling them about how we see their developments and how much hope that gives that it is possible to build a different kind of society and that it is possible to build a system that nourishes peace and understanding between different cultures and brings people together and nurtures solidarity between people that is really amazing for us and that we we would risk a lot of you know we would risk our lives to come and support this if it comes to that and that was very impressive for them to see but also for us as a reminder why are we working in this place specifically rather than in any other place in the world yeah amazing um i'm aware i'm taking up a lot of your time i just wondered um if you could share a little bit about some of the challenges um you've experienced with the work and also like what solidarity like people can can organize like who aren't living in the region mm, i think a lot of the frustrations i had to deal with was cultural differences that can create misunderstandings you know like i have a certain way that i learned how to behave or that i was trained to do things and then having to work with people that are very very different from me in the beginning was very difficult and but after you understand like where is it coming from why are they doing things a certain way and just to see that also how i think things should be is also just my culture influencing me it's not the best way or not the only way but it's just what i learned in my context but there's also other contexts and there's other ways to do things and to bring this together and work together rather than working against each other and finding compromises um and learning also for for myself to like let go of things and find different ways or also to bring things that i think are important to people that maybe don't initially believe me um for example i learned to um be very sensitive with especially with children when they're injured that i saw in the area a lot of people are more way more rough than in europe you would ever be so for me that was difficult to see in the beginning that people would be so rough with injured children but i also don't want to be the person that then goes there and says oh this is wrong or you're making a mistake or you shouldn't do this like this because you know they don't know me that well and i'm from somewhere else and i don't want to have this attitude so it took a while of getting to know each other and feeling out how we're communicating and then after a while rather than criticizing them for the way that they were doing it i would just do what i learned and sh kind of show passively of like look you can also treat an injured kid in a different way and then i saw them picking up on it after a while so i think if you have the approach of i know th something and i know more than you then you will get very frustrated because they will obviously reject this and say i don't believe you or i'm contradicting you or this is how we've always done it why should i listen to you now but if you approach them as a friend and as a, you know with patience and getting to know each other first and then saying like oh this is how i do it interesting you do it different but maybe we can talk about it then i found these frustrations that build up you can resolve them and you know treat each other with respect and patience rather than getting annoyed by difficult situations
for sure. Yeah. And um, and yeah, what what do you think people can um can offer in terms of like solidarity or support like who aren't living in the region? So for me, a good first step is always to get to know the people that I want to work with. For example, in Europe, there's a lot of culture center from Syrian friends, Kurdish friends, also other migrant movements that um, I can go there. I can get to know the people. I can listen to their life stories and see what they struggle with. And then when I get to know them and become uh, friends with them, I can see if there's possibilities that I can support, if I have different skills that are, could be useful in this context, for example, as a nurse, um, I can support people with their health problems. Now in Northeast here, I can work in hospitals. We are doing all the work that we've been talking today about, um, yeah, I can use my skills rather than for a normal job that is in my own interest to earn money. I can use the skill as a health worker in a liberatory sense that I can uh, offer it to the people and see what is needed, and how can I support. And I think for for everybody, this is an option that whatever skills I have, whatever things I've learned, I can reflect on, is there ways that I can use this to build a world that I would like to see for the future? You know, like, of course, obviously, we all need to survive and we all need to pay our rent and buy food, so we need some money. Um, but um, other than just using my skills for a normal job in the capitalist system, I can find ways or I can build ways if there are not any already to use my skill to build the world that I actually want to see and support movements and um, yeah, support the people around me, support my community with my skills that um, yeah, is, is outside of the frame of money and profit, but is building a community on the ground with my neighbors, with the people around me, and with people that need my support and then I I can also get support from other people and in this way we can build a society that is more collective and working together. Yeah, and for our network as MSTN, if people are already having different health initiatives or projects that they are working on, uh, they can always connect to us, they can send us an email or a little message on Twitter and uh, yeah, connect to us, get to know us We can share about their projects and maybe we can do some educations together, talk about the world we dream of. Um, yeah, so in this sense, people can always uh, send us messages if they want to and support our work and we can support their work if we can. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And also, I, I know um, many people listening to this podcast are interested or passionate about herbal medicine and I know that there's um, a few herbal medicine projects in the region um, like at um, Jumar and Sifujin and I just wondered if you had any relationship with these and if you could speak about them at all. I'm definitely going to try and do a podcast interview with folks involved in them at some point in the future. Yeah, I know they exist. I, have, I wasn't very close to these projects but I know they exist among among many other projects about health or especially women house they're doing many many different projects now like there's the this academy for medics there's like you said jinwar there's a village for women only where they have a, a woman clinic where they treat more like the only basics but they treat the basic house problems of women and they are researching into what plants grow in the area 
what plants can we bring here, what medical substances are in them and for what can we use them and how they are making their own medications and creams um, so that they can use them and give them to the people and also give a lot of education. This Congress Star is the the organization for all of the women in the society and they have a separate health structure also and they go around from community to community and give educations and talk with the women about what do you need what problems do you have in your social life but also in in your health or what problems do your children have can we find solutions for this so it's like all of the all of the things they do there is very basic very like close to the people so for If people are interested in the herbal medicine, for example, there's a few places where they're doing a lot of research on this. They're growing their own plants. They're making medicine out of them and then going around and giving educations to people of how to use them and spreading them. So they, they are always looking for, for people that want to come and learn and support this work. If you have already experience with this, it's great. But even if not, it's a work that for women, it's very easy to join. I think that's the only condition um, in this field is that it's very women-centered. So for male friends, it will not be possible to join it. But um, for, for women that want to go to Rojava or want to support this work, there's a lot of opportunities to do that. Amazing. Yeah, yeah it's definitely something I would love to do in the future. Um, Okay, thank you so, so much for your time. Was there anything else you wanted to share um, at all? I think what you're doing is really, really incredible and really important work. No, thank you. I think I've, I've said a lot. The interview was really long and really great. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, just like what if people want to get in touch with us, I can say again, we have the Twitter account, we have a website, we'll post articles once in a while. People can send us messages. If they want to collaborate with us or want to get to know us, we can see how we can work together, how we can dream of a new society together, how we can build a healthcare system that we want to see that's for the people, for our society and for our friends. And, and I hope to see you all soon.
Thanks so much for listening to the Frontline Herbalism podcast. You can find the transcript, the links, all the resources from the show at solidarityapothecary.org forward slash podcast.